You are listening to Get Real Podcast.
for generation zombie kids out there, young ones, we all had to go through this thing where if you wanted a good music collection, you had to go seek it out. Like right now, you can go on your phone or on the computer and find everything. Um, old music, new music. We had to go through these like dingy record stores and all these different places and flip through and look at album covers, which was kind of cool. It was legit. It was focused. And you really prized your your albums. Like when we were in college, we had what CDs? Yeah, look at you. Um, we had CDs, and I would always I would have cassettes and CDs, and I yes. wouldn't go anywhere. If I was taking a trip, I'm like four, five like big things full of them, you know, just to keep it going. And, I'm bringing the tunes, dude. Yeah. We're having a school picnic, man. What are you gonna bring? The ice, the, my, my the, jam the box. Chips? I'm gonna bring the jam box, man. Yeah, the '80s. Here's another thing that I really like, and I want to get y'all's feedback on is like music has changed significantly, and part of kind of how it did those groups all the groups that you mentioned back then they were kind of super groups and everything was condensed down to what did we have three or four tv channels back in the day right about right we had uf something uf uhf and uhf and vhf and then you'd have three or four channels and you're like messing with like aluminum foil and and i don't know i think everybody in the room we were probably physically were you a remote control at one time during your life like i was it was like Horse, come here and change the channel. That's my dad. He called me horse. And I was the remote control <laughs> oh, clicking okay. that thing. Okay. So I, w- I personified the remote. But everything that you watched, like the Beatles and Elvis, everybody knew them because there were only four channels. Everybody knew them because radio stations would play a lot of stuff. Yeah. They would play. You remember, it would go from... You could hear Michael Jackson, like yes. Thriller. Yes. Then you'd hear Panama by Van Halen. Yes. Then Toto would kick one off. Yep. And then you'd have Rick Springfield and then Devo. And then or it was like... Men at Work. Men at Work. Oh, oh yeah. They're really good. Yeah. They're really good. <laughs> Who can it be The Police, now? you know, like Cheap Trick, all that stuff. It was great music. But I think, especially for the young ones, when you go back and look, you'll be like, whoa, it was so diverse. And today, everybody talks about diversity, but it's like, you must conform, you know? But damn, that's that's the me generation of individuality back in the 80s. Because the radio station, what got me interested in radio was the rock station in Connecticut, I-95 FM. There was a DJ up there. He was the afternoon drive guy, Ethan Kerr. He is still working for that radio station up there in Connecticut. He's the morning guy now. But the thing that fat wheelie men, wheelie men, I guess. (laughs) I know, Ethan, if you're listening, this is you've influenced me in doing this. It was the Heritage Rock Station of Connecticut, and it was exactly what you just said. They would play Sticks, Led Zeppelin, and then all of a sudden, how many of you guys remember Spandau Ballet? Oh, yeah. This much is true. Don't ever do that again. We apologize to our international fans. (laughs) I want to see if I can get a part with the band. Yeah, okay. okay. Yeah, this is an audition. This is all a setup. (laughs) Glenn just wants to join. But you would go from Led Zeppelin to Spandau Ballet, and then they'd throw in Duran Duran and Men at Work on the Heritage Rock stage. Top it off with some DeBarge. <laughs> oh, <Lord. laughs> to the beat of the rhythm of the night. Oh, my gosh. That's the one that Beavis and Butthead would always like really make fun of. I did appreciate some of their humor. But one of the bands that fascinated me the most, and one of the musicians that fascinated me the most during the 80s, was Phil Collins. Oh yeah, gosh. he dominated. Oh, he did. he did. He did. Phil, your thoughts on Phil Collins. Phil Collins, um, he was the, not the original singer for Genesis, but um, Peter Gabriel was, right? That's I right. I believe. Yep. Yeah, and he, uh, when Peter Gabriel went um, solo, um, Phil just, I think he was 
a better performer, a better singer. He played the drums. And it's just like everything he touched turned to gold. And like he said a while ago, he could walk down the street and he looks like he had just, you know, made a credit card payment on the Sears card. Or, he, <laughs> yeah. you know, he worked in the tool section selling craftsmen. Yeah. But, um, fantastic songwriter. I mean, how many hits? Oh, I can't even, yeah, can't even count. And his drumming ability. Yeah, and he did some uh, solo work with, that's Robert Plant's main uh, drummer, too. Really? With, really? Uh, yeah, he's done a lot of work with um, on his solo work, on um, the solo albums and stuff. Mm. Yeah, wow. So, wow. Yeah, they're really good friends. So. Well, you know what I've noticed, and I don't know if y'all have heard, but like, I catch from different movies or things that I watch, they kind of give him a hard time in England a little bit, almost like he got so popular. He'd be, oh, it's Phil Collins. So they're a little bit, uh, what do you call that when you get so familiar? Contempt? Contempt. I mean, they just, they'll be like, oh, Phil Collins, you got to listen to real music. But it was real music and it was really, really good. But somehow in his home territory, I mean, he's still popular, but people are, I remember, and I don't know how much alternative, I was a weird kid. I was like a skate rat, but it was like, I would love going to Atlanta because all of a sudden you would get punk alternative. You get stuff you never hear, even though the the radio stations played at diversity. That word has been so co-opted. It's been corrupt. It's like, uh, I just, I don't want social justice vocabulary, but it's um, the, uh, when I would go to Atlanta, then you would hear like out of the Athens music scene, REM, you know, the Smiths, uh, Echo and the Bunny, you would just, the punk stations. And then they would play all this wild stuff that you didn't even know existed. So I'd go on a church trip, and I remember feeling really guilty. <laughs> it was like we'd go on a church trip to Six Flags, you know, and I'm I have my little Walkman, you know, and I'm dialing it in, and I would hear this uh, like punk station. I felt so guilty. <laughs> did y'all's parents? Did anybody have parents that were just against rock, but you loved it anyway? Did you struggle with that? No, my mom was cool with it. She bought me my first Kiss album. <laughs> Oh, awesome! Cool parents. Mine bought a light show. They were very supportive. Man, what about yours? Well, being in Connecticut, I mean, it was very interesting. You weren't in the Bible Belt. I was not in the Bible Belt. So, again, as I said, my mom bought me my KTEL record with sticks and and Queen on it. We had a radio pretty much in every room in the house. But I'll never forget when I started listening to the rock station, I-95. I had asthma as I was growing up. And she heard what I was listening to. And she's like, Glenn, you need to be careful with that or that's going to give you an asthma attack. <laughs> <laughs> now, this is my... my Panama! Now, what's really funny? Okay. In Connecticut, up in the Northeast, we do Easter big. Okay. Easter, yeah. Easter is a big deal. It's, it, it's well, what a is huge it? deal. I, I think it's, is it a Catholic it's thing? Catholic it's really to big? really make it big. Yeah, okay. it really is. And I grew up in an Episcopal church, which was almost Catholic. So we would get Easter presents. All right? So in 1984, my Easter present was the Van Halen 1984 cassette with the okay. baby, baby angel smoking the cigarettes, you know, with the pack of smokes on it. Yeah. And then in 1985, my Easter present... And my mom, her comments, I'll never forget. She she got it for me anyway. She got me Dawkins Tooth and Nail cassette. Oh, hmm. oh I was like, yes! <laughs> I'm going to rock while I eat this chocolate bunny! <laughs> <laughs> That's good. But she looked at the album cover. You know, you have, hey, you got that claw sticking yeah. up. She's like, I'm going to try to do this justice. My mom's at Glenn. <laughs> this cuff is a little weird. <laughs> 
if you don't like it, you can throw it out. <laughs> I was like, no, I like it. It rocks. <laughs> Give me another chocolate bunny. <laughs> well, we talked about as far as um, favorites and influences and stuff, but if we back up from maybe just through the scope of personal preference and thought about the 80s in general, what were the most influential bands? Like, I, I immediately think I play a little bit of guitar, nothing like I can't even do a slice of what you did, but I like to write some stuff and play around. But Eddie Van Halen and the whole oh, yeah. like brown sound that yeah. that changed guitar distortion and and a lot of things kind of forever. I think they they made their mark. And there were other bands. U two is sculpted some different things, and and I think they've influenced modern worship music a lot. You know, mm-hmm. and there's a lot of other bands. In y'all's estimation, who were musically some of those bands that just you know everybody got influenced by? I would say, from a guitar perspective, I would say Van Halen definitely was. Because Eddie came out, he was the first guy to kind of start, him and Randy Rhodes were the two guys that kind of started that whole guitar hero thing, Mm. where everybody was, you know, kind of competing with each other Mm -hmm. to come up with new things to be faster, to start with, like in Randy Rhodes' case, he kind of started bringing the classical, you know, that that kind of, um, I wouldn't say operatic, but the the violin concerto kind of a thing, that influence of classical music in Mm -hmm. And then, of course, he was married musically with Ozzy Osbourne. And so they had that direction, but then you had the kind of party good times thing where Eddie was in there. So it was kind of those two, as far as guitar players were concerned, those two really um, influenced the world of guitar playing, at least for a couple of decades anyway. From drumming perspective, what would you say were the most influential drummer or drummers of, of the 80s? Obviously, Neil Peart. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Everyone's, everyone's yeah. going to go there, but um, I saw them, and they were great. But the guy that blew me away is still Steve Smith of Journey. Guy is phenomenal. Really? Yeah. Okay. He, he, Peart is technical. Smith is all emotion. And, okay. And the double bass work he did, I saw him live numerous times. And then I got to see his jazz fusion band. And it was neat because we were in this little place in New York, and they're on the stage, like right there. Oh, wow. And I'm like, oh my gosh. And he's just talking to everyone. How you doing? And hey, what you drinking? And then they played. And I'm like, oh my gosh. His, his ability was so far beyond Journey. Although what he did with Journey, I really liked. Wow. But he was, I just. I feel bad because I really did. Because um, what's the singer? Um, Steve Perry. Steve Perry. He's such a superstar. He kind of, it's almost like everybody was backing him up, which they were, and their thing worked. But I never noticed. I feel bad that I missed his drumming talent. I really got to look at that. The other day I was watching The Police, like live in 1980, oh. and their drummer was amazing. Yes. I, 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 is it? Okay, he was, it blew my mind. And I was like, because there you go, you get the superstar singer and you don't think that much about the drummer. And I mean, every, I mean Bonham complimented. Um, you know, in Zeppelin, the way he kind of tracked with the uh, with the guitar and everything, it was amazing. So, yeah, huh? Interesting, interesting. Vocally, um, I, well, Steve Perry, he yeah. set the bar for all singers. I mean, he's amazing. Um, amazing range, tone, um, charisma. As far as uh, bass players go, I think Billy Sheehan is an awesome bass player. Okay. He's like my favorite. Um, I've never seen anybody quite like him. Look um, him up. Who did he play with? Um, look up him uh, when he was with uh, David Lee Roth. Him and Steve Vai played together on stage. Oh, okay. That was one amazing show. Okay. When David Lee Roth 
when um, Solo, after he left Van Halen, I think it was Eden and Smile was the name of the... Yeah, she was a lead bass player. Wow. Yeah. He's, he's like a lead guitarist on bass. Yeah. And um, him and uh, Steve, I just put on a fantastic show, but, um, you know, me being a vocalist, Steve Perry is, is the man. You know, mentioned Foreigner. I really, I remember when oh, Foreigner Four Foreigner. came out. What an album that uh, yeah. was! Lou Graham, what a voice! Yeah, yeah. And yeah. I was thinking because he's a little more gritty to me than yeah. Steve Perry, yeah. but it's just I, I really, he's amazing. And the interesting dynamic that I think about Foreigner that really blends well is they were part of their members, if I remember correctly, were English and then American. So you had this mixture of different tones and different things because English ears are a little different. And I tend to like English sounding guitars and amps and and, that sort of playing. And um, they had that nice blend. It had so much bite. And then the vocals, the vocals, uh, what was his name? Vocalist? Lou Graham. Graham. Okay. Yeah. Lou Graham. Just marvelous. Glenn, do you think anybody, I mean, who do you think really... Don Dawkin and Don Dawkin really, I mean, his vocals, the way, and I didn't get to see him live until about 10 years ago. Uh, he could still bring it, even though, he, you know, he's, he's much older now. His vocals were phenomenal. Great guy. I, Phil Collins' vocals, it, anything yeah. Phil Collins just would just take me away. There were other bands that were defining as well that don't get as much mentioned back then. I'd say The Fix. Red Skies at Night. Oh, no. Okay. Red Rider. Another great band in the Lunatic 80s. Lunatic Fringe, right? Lunatic Fringe, yeah. Yeah. Great, great, uh, great music. The one thing that I think is super cool about the 80s, and I keep picturing the, the Generation Z listeners, you know, and one of the really cool things is it was kind of cool to be weird. It was cool to be me. It was cool to be me, but you could be like, remember the... She blinded me with science. I mean, just oh, I fun and weird. <laughs> you had devos wearing flower yes. pots on their heads, yes. sort yeah. of things. It was like the talking heads. I watched them live. Oh. They're, I mean, I didn't see them live, but on, on YouTube. And it was just, I was like, this is great. It was a song I'd never heard before. And it was weird. And I loved every second of it. And it actually refreshed me as, you know, if I'm trying to write a song or something, I'm like, this is a little too weird. Or that's too different. Or, I just don't feel comfortable with that. Or you feel insecure in your idea. And then I watched them and I was like, dude, I'm not weird at all. <laughs> and then you feel more confident to go, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to write something and I'm not going to prejudge it. You know? and, and we can't talk about the eighties with not talking about Prince. Oh yeah. Oh, Prince. Yeah. Oh, he blew me away. He could, I saw Pearl Jam a couple years ago when they came to Columbia and it, it was a great show. And Prince had just died. I think the day before or so. And, um, Eddie Vedder was like, he's the best. He goes, Prince was the best guitar player I've ever seen. Like they had jammed together and he was like, he was nuts on the guitar. I've seen him tear up a Telecaster a few times on, on video, but so. You know what it really boils down to and what we're talking about here is that in the 80s, 80s because it was a me generation and not a we, there was no formula. Yeah. Okay, music was not this formula. Like today, everything pretty much, I probably sound like my grandfather did. Everything sounds pretty much the same because that's what sells. This is what the group wants. This is, and it's the same. There's no individuality of expression in it. And really, when you talk about where we're at in a we cycle right now, it really quenches creativity. Oh, yeah. It does in a big time because I'm just thinking about, man, in in the 80s, I loved Tears for Fears. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Yeah. 
oh, great. You know, everybody, you always hear the same two songs on the radio, but if you go to their B-sides on their albums back back then, hmm. awesome stuff, Duran Duran. When that album Rio came out, that was one of the first tapes I got. Billy Joel's Nylon Curtain was the first one. Oh, yeah. But the B-side of Duran Duran's Rio is just huh. so different and eclectic. Save a Prayer, The Chauffeur, those songs. I was really into that because it was different. It huh. sounded different. That's interesting. Yeah. That's really interesting. No, the the 80s, they, they were wild. It, it just the lineup that you would hear, like five songs in a row. Oh, that's what I was going to bring up. I'm at a steakhouse, shock, and I'm, I'm waiting for my steak. <laughs> and I'm listening to the Muzak system, and I'm like, dude, just... Dude. stop the bro country like hurting me my head was gonna explode it was like my dog and walmart and just it just kept going and i love country music i like real country music that stuff is like they got this algorithm that they're wearing slap yes. out but you know who's gonna who's saving country music for any country music fans kentucky nashville is kind of going one way and i there's some good if you haven't heard tyler childers y'all heard him or sturgill simpson Oh, Sturgill Simpson, yeah. And, I mean, just look up some of these names. Chris Stapleton, obviously, he's great as a vocalist. You know, he's amazing and a songwriter. But it's it's kind of going on. But you'll go, and it'll be like this cliche. It, it's that cycle. It, it is. Gets it's old. a cycle. It gets it's bored. Old, yep. The kids reject it. They want something different. And, and then, um, I don't know, amazing. Good how, stuff. How many of you guys, American Bandstand? Did you watch that on the right? Oh, oh yeah. I watched it, definitely. I'll never forget. Madonna's first performance on American Bandstand. Huh. She sang she sang Borderline. Okay. And she looked really kind of nervous. I'll never forget. My sister and I, every Saturday in the afternoon, we'd watch American Bandstand. Then we'd flip it over to Soul Train. Yeah, I would watch Soul Train. Soul Train. Go figure. I mean, for those of you around the world, man, Soul Train was wild, man. I still watch it. I'll go on YouTube and find old clips. I want some of those outfits. I, I really do. I want to go downtown. And then we were deprived children because we lived in the middle of nowhere. There were cows all over the place where we lived, so they would not run cable up to our house until it was 1987. So I was just jonesing for MTV all the time. So anytime I could see a music video, I was just fascinated that you could... When I listen to music, this is... I've visualize what's being sung i visualize the music so music videos for me some of them were like yeah i'm kind of tracking with that and others were like oh yeah i'm uh, that's not what i envisioned at all um but we would watch night tracks yeah to get our music videos and i remember the one that they'd play all the time was lionel richie all night long. Oh yeah. No. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yep. yep. Night tracks. It did. Didn't some video program like that came out before MTV, and it was like it was after A Team or something. And then I was like, oh man, we got to watch Night Tracks, you know. And I'd call my buddy and say like, and I remember Rio. Yes. Duran Duran's Rio yep. on that. Now there was a TV station up in Boston for a little while around the time that MTV came out that played music videos that was not on cable. It was a regular broadcast station. One of the VJs on there was a man by the name of John Garabedian. John Garabedian eventually started a United States-wide all-request music show called The Open House Party, which just went off the air about two years ago. Oh, wow. I would stay glued on Saturday night when I was in high school 
on Saturday and Sunday night to John Garabedian's open house party. It was the all cool, all request open house party huh. is what it was. And I was fascinated because you'd have people calling in from Nashville, Tennessee. Hey, John, I'd like to hear Paula Abdul straight up. Now tell me. And then you have another person calling. Hey, you know, calling in from like, um, you know, Florida. Hey, John, you know, I'd like to hear uh, Guns N' Roses, little patience, please. You know, and I did some re- And John Garabinian, I was fascinated. He but was it was a- video. No, it was audio. Oh, okay. John, okay. Was, John was audio with the open house party. He started with the video on the Boston station. Okay. Okay. But going back, I mean, his radio studio was in the basement of his house. So on Saturday and Sunday nights, he would sit in the basement of his house. He had a staff and everything like that. He'd bring guests in and interview them. He really had a lot of influence on me growing up. What are we doing here? It's Sunday evening and we got, you know, we're doing an interview. Um, But a lot of people equate that to the first form of social media that he engineered before facebook and all of those other forms of so because you had people connecting from all over the united states and the connection was the music huh yeah. which was really cool interesting yeah. interesting have you guys ever seen on youtube there's um reaction videos there's like teens react or kids react yes. and it's a lot of fun to look up like some of the bands that we're talking about like I get to do it actually real time with my kids. So it may be like Nirvana and, you know, take a kid and they're 14 years old. Okay. And a lot of the younger kids know Nirvana or know some of the rock bands and then they'll play a video and, and they'll say, do you know what it is? Do you like it and get their impression? So it's really fun. One thing I have three daughters um, and uh, 18, 20 and uh, 22 and they have I've had to do this with them their whole life. So I'll introduce them to something. And the other day I got a reaction video with them. I played, um, I think it was Eddie Van, it was Van Halen. Eddie Van Halen's doing eruption and doing whatever he goes into like hot for teacher or whatever it is after that. <laughs> and he, and, and they were like stunned by how proficient and how just tight everything was. It was great. But then it's so over the top. It's like, they're like, you know, all the <laughs> poses and the, but it's a lot of fun seeing that, um, the generational, the differences, the reaction to go like, wow. Yeah. But they find music. My kids, um, do y'all have kids? And what do your kids listen to if you have them? Or your other family members? I've got two daughters, and they listen to the the dance type stuff and some country. Okay. My daughter, um, yeah, she's 18 also. Well, she'll be 18 soon. She um, she listens mostly to um, contemporary Christian. But um, I've had an influence on her, um, you know, with the 80s music. She loves, loves Journey. And I, I, my wife actually uh, loves Journey, too. That's, and she was raised on uh, uh, Christian music also. But I've kind of turned the tides a little bit with that. Give them, you know, some diversity. There you go. <laughs> I have a 12-year-old son. He, um, he listens to a lot of different things. I think he likes some of the modern stuff, you know, that... The kids here, they play like at school with a dance or whatever. He can dance because he's definitely, but he's a really big Michael Jackson fan. So he loves everything Michael Jackson does. Gotcha. He's got his little Michael Jackson hat, you know, the fedora and the whole vest and everything okay. with the one okay. white glove. Does he break the moves out? He does the oh, moves. he's amazing. He doesn't okay. walk the whole nine yards. <laughs> That's cool. But when he was growing up, Daddy always had his rock and roll, his heavy metal, and everything else. And he used to sit in the back when he was 18 months old with a stink face. 
Yeah. Oh, that's great. Just looking off and just he's like, yeah, hey, dad. dad. That's good. Yeah. And he loves that. Like the stuff that we're recording in my house. We'll be driving along in the truck, you know, going to the field uh, to play ball or something, and I can hear him over there singing some of Phillips' lines and everything else. That's cool. Okay, he's definitely got that kind of a brain. That's awesome. You know, I don't care what genre you identify with the most. I say, hands down, one of the best albums ever made and produced was Michael Jackson's Thriller. Yeah, Yeah. it's hard to argue with that. Yeah, I can't. You know, you can't argue with that one. And on the metal side, of course, Metallica's Black album. Yeah, yeah, those are two probably the best albums ever made. But that when that Michael Jack, I think I wore out my Michael Jackson Thriller tape when I had it. You had Thriller on there. You had Beat It. You had Billy Jean, uh, Human Nature. I mean, they were all great songs. What about? Any modern bands that you think are, because now there's good music out there. A lot of times it's not so much mainstream like the good stuff was back then. But have y'all found bands that maybe are not that popular, but they're awesome? I'm always stunned. I'm like, how? I mean, even when I heard y'all, I'm like, what? That's great. Y'all's music is on just a super high level. So are there any bands that you're like big fans of that nobody knows about? That's interesting. It actually ties kind of back into why we're all sitting here together. Um, I listen to a lot of uh, Christian um, rock, little pop, you know, kind of like uh, like Newsboys, mm-hmm. um, Mercy Me, stuff like that. But then there's, I've discovered a little pocket of kind of like Christian hard rock heavy metal mm-hmm. so you kind of got like everybody's probably heard of Skillet Skillet yeah. awesome. but then oh. then you got bands like Fireflight and The Letter Black yes. which I got on my phone right now we actually went to see Fireflight a few years ago at Cathedral of Praise female singer Dawn oh, Michelle yeah. yeah they are awesome okay that kind of yeah. blew my mind because yeah. I was like okay what's this going to be you never know yeah. and then it was like I was like that's legit they were, they were legit well see I came from my mom she was awesome um, my dad didn't really go to church with us too much, but my mom was worried. I had such a draw to music, and she was it was the 80s, right in the Bible Belt. My mom is really devout, and so she would get concerned if I was listening too much to the radio. So <laughs> I couldn't listen to the radio. I could only get certain things, so it was very much. So when I was in high school and finally kind of gained her trust and my faith became really important to me, um, I listened to a lot of Christian music. And I would steer clear for a while. And I'm not saying, hey, if if we have younger listeners or whoever you are, that's fine. You know, for me, then I kind of was like, no, I'm going to listen to whatever I want. (laughs) I don't know what secular. You and I talk about that a lot because you can have somebody saying something. They can try to be as evil as they want to. And I'm not into that. But at the same time, God still made that person. And you're still pointing at him running the opposite direction. You know, oh, where did he where is he running yeah. away from that's that's god so if you're talking about and and i don't want to overkill it with that there's stuff that you don't want your kids listening to i get it but i'm on the opposite side of that my kids listen to almost everything and you know what surprisingly they didn't have a rebellious reaction and go into really horrible stuff you know they were like it's relatively clean they're like they love old music they love ella fitzgerald they love um, old jazz, they like, and and we share that together, that love with all sorts of different music, you know. Man, just talking about all the different genres of the '80s that were mainstream at the time. You had 
Al Jarreau, the jazz musician. Oh, yeah. yeah. You had Billy Ocean. Yeah. I mean, just just awesome, awesome bands. And you even had bands like Menudo. <laughs> <laughs> My wife was a, uh, was a big Menudo fan. Menudo hey, they, they were huge in Mexico. They were huge. You know, they're all surprised when I lived in Mexico. They were always surprised that I knew of Menudo. Yeah. They were like, oh, yeah. And, and I was like, no, I'm not really into them. You know, but. And what's interesting about the 80s is that the music had such an influence on all the other forms of media as well. Because you had Miami Vice was oh, influenced. Yeah. That was good music. That was good music. You know, Glenn Fry. The yeah. Equalizer. Yes. Do you remember that program? Yes. Anybody remember that program? That had great music. Yep. I forget the guy who wrote the score, but yeah. Yep. And then you had the great theme song from the show Airwolf. The uh, yeah. the synthesizer theme from that. And with Miami Vice, they shot that like you would shoot a music video. That was that totally revolutionized huh. television. And. What was so fun about Miami Vice is that Phil Collins would always be the special guest star. I thought, I don't remember that. Yeah. <laughs> oh, okay. Well, he played the game show host, didn't he? And he also played a sleazy drug lord or something like that. <laughs> he probably got a kick out yeah, of that. He yeah, he probably did. Well, it, it, it did affect movies because what is the, the classic cliche of watching an 80s movie? Is whenever they get, they play the song and then like the couple, they're you know they a montage, just, yeah montage. It's <laughs> like montage, this really yeah. cheesy thing, and it's like if you're not from the '80s, you didn't grow up. You're like, what in the world are they doing? <laughs> and it's like, oh, we're gonna cook, you know. And then all of a sudden they play this music and they're cooking and throwing flour and falling and you know it's it's really stupid. But it was part of that video. We were MTV. We were MTV. And the movie that I think epitomized that the most and had probably had one of the best soundtracks of Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure. No. Wayne's World. Yeah. Wild Stallions. Yeah. I love that movie. I'd have to say, though, it would probably be Top Gun. Because you look at the soundtrack of who created that, who was on that soundtrack. You had Cheap Trick. Yeah. You had Berlin, you had Loverboy, and you had okay, Kenny Loggins. Kenny All right. Loggins. Yeah. But I mean he, he rocked it on Danger Zone. I mean yeah, that yeah. was that was some good stuff. Are you gonna throw on some mirrored shades and hop on a motorcycle? In Dan, a few do you know what, man? I am feeling the need. The need <laughs> for speed. I, I don't wanna be goose. I don't goose dies. I'm Tom. <laughs> Iceman, cool. Yeah, yeah. Iceman, that's what it was. Iceman. Yeah, they, they were they were belovedly cheesy. They were. Every the, the 80s, that that's kind of the thing. But you know what? If you look at what was going on, there was a lot of different un, what is underground. You know, you came out of disco basically, and then you started getting into into pop. Synthesizers started to be used what in the late 70s and then or maybe mid 70s. And then by the 80s, it was like, whoa, way too much. Because they were digitized in the 80s. In the 70s, remember, it was basically tubes. Yeah. 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 There was a whole thing going on, all that mixture. I remember um, one of my favorite bands, y'all mentioned uh, Neil Peart or Peart. And uh, I love Rush and the whole, the complexity of it. It's like, it's as complex as like Tchaikovsky. It's, It's all over the place and so guys are probably great at math i mean that's amazing well the whole progression is really interesting because you think about what was going on the glam metal the glam rock all that stuff but then you would have other bands that were unique and kind of doing their own thing and they you know 
I think what was the end of glam metal was probably Guns N' Roses came in and it was like, you know, just tattoos, bandana, old jeans. And then they're up there just just gritty rock. And then the grunge movement coming out of that and the the whole superficiality. But it still took things. Glam rock had all those uh, different changes in the sound and the instruments and the guitar playing and the amount of distortion and, and a lot of it. So um, because I grunge definitely that was kind of I loved grunge, you know, when that finally hit. I wasn't that into. But then even when the glam rock was going on, think about it. You still had like Iron Maiden. They were like. They still had some of the theatrics, but I wouldn't consider them. That I don't. At all. I don't consider them glam because at all. Even their lyrical content is so far beyond. Oh yeah. You know, it's just not. You know, let's make some noise, party, and get drunk, and everything. Exactly. Like that. They it were was, like storytellers. You know, they were epic. They were. As a matter of fact, it was 1982 that the number of the beast came out. Gotcha. Yeah. With Vincent Price at the beginning. He was on Thriller, too. He was, yeah. He was making his rounds. Man, if you have a really spooky voice, I guess you yeah, can make, make, some bank, make some bank doing some of that stuff. So, you know, looking at it, because you know, we were talking earlier about 1984 with the Year of Destruction, and that's when people really started thinking about things like about the Antichrist and the Mark of the Beast. A yeah. lot of people started to become concerned about that. And, you know, when you listen to Iron Maiden's Mark of the, uh, Number of the Beast, it's not glorifying Satan at all. It's just basically taking big biblical prophecy and putting it out there. And see, I thought that it was. See, I could not even get close to that stuff. So I'd have friends with like the T-shirt, and they always had this gory T-shirt. Oh like, yeah, with yeah, skulls. Was on it, like doing yeah. That. yeah, and Eddie was on there. Yeah, yeah. Eddie, and, Eddie, yep. And I um, mean, I was like, whoa, you, you know, you can't can't do that. And then finally, when I listened to him, I was like, oh, okay. Yeah, that's Same what thing this is with, about. Um, who else? Um, Ozzy Osbourne? Yeah, same thing with Ozzy. I was like, no way. That guy's like... And, and he rubbed shoulders with Crowley and all that different stuff, but oh, yeah. it was a disappointment. I think he looked he around and he was like, dude, there. I don't see God by the way of anything that's being shown for me. What did but you do? It didn't seem like it was just evil. Like there's yeah. people that go and they, they go in the devil's direction because they just want to and they're into wickedness. He seemed like a curious soul that is like, what is truth? What is logos? What's reality? Well, guys, where can um, people get a hold of uh, your music and find out more about you? So we have a page on Reverb Nation, and it's a pretty simple URL, www.reverbnation.com forward slash Winner's Resurrection. All okay. one word, no punctuation. And um, what's the other? What's the other? Mixed exposure. Hey, yeah, mixed exposure. Mix as in P-O-S-U-R-E. Unfortunately, I'm not sure off the top of my head what the URL is to find that. But you could go to www.mixposure.com and do a search. Just do a search. You know, because these guys break the the we cycle, I think June would be a good month to make them the prophetic artist of the month and feature them on the Lithos Cry website so our listeners can go right to our website at lithoscry.com and we'll put the links on there for our listeners to be able to go to those sites and find out more about you guys because your sound is so unique. It's it's awesome. It just thrills me that you're like five, ten miles down the street from here. Yeah, that's you know, awesome. It, and Phil, I've known you for six years. Uh, so, yeah, I can't just... believe <laughs> I can't believe that he's so into music. It's like... Well, you know, I mean, Dan is... Way to go, Glenn. Yeah, thank, yeah ex- exactly. So our listeners are probably wondering, well, how does this tie into everything that Glenn and Dan are doing on the Get Real Show? And this is what I can boil it down to. Boil it down. I'm going to boil it down. I'm going to 
I'm going to chop the spiritual broccoli. Okay, chop the broccoli. Here we go. All right. Generation Z doesn't know what you just said, but I do. <laughs> look, look it up on YouTube, Saturday Night Live. <laughs> Power metal ballads. Chop the broccoli. So what it boils down to is that when we get into this we cycle, it stifles creativity. Everything becomes groupthink. Everything becomes what the masses. This is what's acceptable. So what that does is it really kind of puts a damper on the prophetic, the prophetic arts, and the preaching of the gospel. Because that does not go along with what the group is thinking or what the group wants. So when you get out of that and get into the me cycle, and it's okay to be you and to be yourself, and I think that's what really for us, Dan, we've been growing out of a, a, out of a we system into me and expressing our individuality just by doing this. So when we get into the me cycle, and according to the pendulum theory, when is that supposed to really kick off again, Dan? Um, let's see. I think it switched over maybe in like 2001 or 90. Yeah, I think 2001. So we're, what, 18 years? We're almost to the apex, okay. the 20-year point at which it starts to decline. To decline. And you can, you can kind of feel that. We're not quite at the peak, but even already, like I've written – the last two songs that I've written are about censorship and are about, you know, big brother type stuff that are reminiscent of that, you know, yeah. sort of kind of meaning. And it's like, because people are getting, they're getting tired of this. Yeah. You, you, if you don't conform, we're going to fire you. Why? Because you believe a different thing than I do, or you don't think you ought to, you know, hurt a baby or something. It's not that one is better than the other, but what happens is, for example, in a, a me generation, it's probably where all the just grotesque uh, blab it and grab it, you know, it's all about me, Jesus, give me a Cadillac sort of at stuff. I'd say at its height. Uh, yeah, at its height. That's when that stuff just gets real mainstream. And then people get more austere or more, I don't know, there, there's good and bad to both. Mm -hmm. A sense of duty, a sense of purpose, a sense of belonging can be very strong now. But on the negative side, it would be more like um, conform or you're out or we're going to mm -hmm. throw stones at you or whatever. And for an artist or people trying to express themselves with prophetic arts or whatever they're doing, writing music, playing music, um, I, I think now is kind of a – I think there's probably more of a light, more of a contrast. So it's like I remember – think about it, grunge. Grunge happened. Grunge was like warts and all. It's I mean, you went from being like – Girls, girls, girls. You know, it's just dr sex, drugs, rock and roll to Pearl Jam's Jeremy. About a kid killing himself. That was really heavy and impacting. But it went from we generation is warts and all. Reality. Here it is. Sad, glad, mad. Here it is right here. Think about when Pearl Jam and all that, they were alpha. They were 10 years early. Yeah, and the right, people were. that were into like grunge and stuff that we were listening to alpha voices in that movement really starting in 1989 with guns and roses it was a complete departure from the glam the disco the plastic right and then it started moving in and the death you know the artist that actually embodies the death of the me generation who is it britney spears really when she kind of melted down and had this like just kind of her just lost it and she wasn't as successful as she was that was because finally the mainstream was starting to switch over in 2001 and it's weird it's subtle but when you actually look at it you're like holy cow this is really something that happens 
And it, she was kind of the death of the we. She was trying to do the same thing that Madonna was doing. It was all about me. And I'm work. a material girl. And I'm blah, 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 blah. And then so she's still singing that same sort of thing. And then you look, they're still pop artists. But if you listen to what they're actually saying, it's a little bit different. And it's as subtle as like the Army slogan that was, be all you can be when we grew up. That's that's individual psychology. I want need to be. It's about me. Okay. And now they have it's an army of one, right? And that's more the other side of that that okay. civic side cycle that you can belong to some way. You're an individual, but you're gonna be placed in a group, in a family kind of thing. So I don't know, it's a fascinating book. I it's kind of a red pill book kind of changes the whole world for you, but Anyway, it so, does. It was great talking to you guys. Guys, thank you, guys, you so thank you. much. Glad we could all fit in here, Glenn. It's so feng shui in here. <laughs> so feng shui. I'm going to go put on some yoga pants. <laughs> totally. Light some incense. There we go. There we go. And we have to thank Deb, our interior designer. <laughs> thank the, you, Deb. For the Get Real podcast for setting this up. Again, we've had with us in the studio Winner's Resurrection. Check them out on our website, lithoscry.com. Check out their music. Awesome, awesome stuff. Thanks, guys. And uh, for anybody who's uh, interested in shouting out to us, again, you can email us at lithoscry at gmail.com. Until the next time, peace out. Wild stallions. Hey, what about (laughs) Twisted Sister? Oh, yeah. (laughs) We're not going to take it. Uh, (laughs) The video is...